The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. The courage to grow is business. MTN Business, a new world of business. On the menu today. So let me ask you this question from a, a strategy point of view. What, what business are you in? Are you in the manufacturing? Are you in the marketing business? Are you in the distribution business? Or what combo thereof or all of the above? I wasn't focusing now on the basics of what I was doing before. I was now a celebrity, now I've got a big car. Now when I drive back to the township, everybody wants to know who I am. Now people started inviting me to parties, can you go to this party? And now for a whole year, I didn't do anything. I didn't actually work. Every time you interact on LinkedIn, people see three, three things. They see your picture, your headline, and your name. Welcome to the Big Small Business Show. This show is for you, the entrepreneur, whether you've just started your business or growing your business or perhaps battling to get to the next level. Now, from time to time, we go out to visit entrepreneurs at their place of work. Today, we are visiting an entrepreneur who feels that they might be in a corner, might feel that they are, are stuck between a rock and a hard place with no place to go. Perhaps there's a different way to look at this. Perhaps this is a niche from which we can build a global business. Let's go meet our guest. Welcome to the panel section of the Big Small Business Show. Now today we have uh, a very interesting guest uh, in, I don't want to say studio because we're not in studio. We're actually at uh, their offices here in Rosebank uh, in Johannesburg. And it's Taryn Gill who is the founder of The Perfect Hair. Uh, we're going to be talking to her about her business and uh, some of the issues that she might be experiencing in that business. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Right. So let's uh, let's first understand what the what the business does. Well, we realised quite early on in the natural hair care revolution that that South Africa was lagging behind in terms of product development to meet the needs for girls wanting their afros back, essentially. Mm. And about four years ago, we started selling American brands because we realised that they were way ahead of where we were from mm. a market perspective, and basically coming to the awareness that we could not sell American hair care forever. It was not a long-term solution. Essentially, it was just too expensive and they weren't keen on export at the time, which led us to a point that said, well, if we can't import them, we'll make them ourselves, which we did. Okay. So, so in terms of hair care, is it just a whole range of products or is it just one particular product? We were lucky enough to go to market uh, through a website and, and retail a few American products to test what the African audience wanted. So as a result, we formulated based on feedback from our customer base. We essentially created a range of products based on what our customer told us they wanted via our social media channels. Such as? So we started out with 
things like innovative co-washes, which is a blend between a conditioning wash, you mm -hmm. know, those things were not pr prolific in the market four years ago. So we started out looking at co-washes and cleansers, moving into stylers, all kinds of growth serums. Essentially, we sit now on a base of about 12 SKUs, as mm. the retailers call them, mm. and we are fast expanding this year into new ranges, not just new SKUs within the Perfect Hair range. And, and the brand name is the Perfect Hair, is that the brand itself? Okay. Yes, that okay. name kind of found me because I, th I think a lot of my customers, a lot of my client base want to know why, why the name and, and what is perfect here anyway. Mm. And essentially I started out uh, after 19 years in media. Uh, I spent a long time uh, working through media as a researcher, as a marketer, as a consultant, as a publisher, as an editor. And all of those skills kind of culminated in me now going into what is essentially a retail and manufacturing hub. And believe it or not, I took quite a lot of skill from that base and moved into this new terrain where I kind of had a business already called The Perfect Score, mm -hmm. which was all about understanding the power of the African female consumer, how ticking that box would be the perfect score for most businesses. And when I started the hair business, it seemed like a natural evolution to call it the perfect hair. Mm. And people said, but what is the perfect hair? And I said, it's happy, healthy hair. Mm. So that became our mantra. Hashtag the perfect hair is happy, healthy hair. So you spoke about retail now. So you've, you, uh, are you in wholesale and retail or just in the retail space? Currently expanding into both. So right now we have our 12 SKUs within the core what I like to call the signature range. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we produce locally. It's got proudly South Africa all over it. We are, we are quite authentic in the way we meant to market, being a, being a brand produced locally for local needs. And now basically going into far more of a custom manufacturing angle, taking what we learned having developed the signature range and now creating ranges specifically for brands like Edgar's and possibly others, hotel chains, that kind of thing. We're, we're really looking at becoming a manufacturing hub for really good quality African hair and skin care. So let me ask you this question from a, a strategy point of view. What, what business are you in? Are you in the manufacturing? Are you in the marketing business? Are you in the distribution business? Or what combo thereof or all of the above? In 10 years time, I'll, we are aiming to own as much of our supply chain as possible. We want to be that black industrialist hub that brands come to, to be custom manufactured, to be distributed, to be marketed, to get on shelf. Right now, there are no black females playing in that space. And we think that if we can get enough brands on board to build our capacity and to build our manufacturing hub as something that really can kind of put its first mark on the landscape, which is dominated, quite frankly, by white males mm. um, who don't necessarily understand this audience at all. I find that in the business of manufacturing and retailing black hair care and now moving into black skin care, I start every meeting with a discussion around the power of the black African female consumer. I shouldn't have to be doing that. It's 2018. Mm. And quite frankly, I think that's why there's, a, there's an enormous gap for somebody who understands this market to own more of the supply chain. 
Okay, so now your you, how long's the, this the per, not the perfect score, but the perfect hair? How long's that been operating for? So we've been operating for three years, mm. and this year will be our first year that we take on custom-made ranges, which we will. Uh, create specifically for other clients. So that takes on more of a wholesale um, approach to, to manufacturing rather than taking it to shelf myself. I rely on the customer to take that product to shelf. But it's still made, I think, with the, with the ethical, sustainable approach that, that the Perfect Hair is renowned for. So the Perfect Hair Africa Collective is the PTY. And, and, and the brands that come out of there ride off the kind of um, sheer of market, sheer voice that we've created with the signature range. The last question before we take a break is, is, is around the, the competitive environment. Because I, I, just as a white male, know of probably five brands that are where, where there are, are attempts, some successful, some unsuccessful, to penetrate the South African or maybe even the African market. Yes. But let's talk about the South African market. Mm. There's a lot of people vying for the space. They see it as a lucrative opportunity. They know the Americans have dominated predominantly and, and they're trying to push them out. Yes. How, how, do you, how have you differentiated yourself? We had a few core USPs that we acquired earlier on in the, in the process. Like I said, we were very strong on social media while formulating and creating the range. So we were very close to the ear of the consumer, making sure that at every point she was involved in the testing, involved in the formulations, she was part of the trials. Every, every new notch for our belt, we were, we were informing her that this was the a new step we'd made in development. So we kind of built an audience based on not just our story, but the fact that, that we were so well connected to her, that we were making something specifically for her. It gave us a very emotive connection to a lot of influences in the market, which then filters down to many, many more consumers who are following those influences. So in that way, I think we have a loyalty aspect to us in the sense that we're proudly African and the market resonates with that, whereas they can see an American product come in and maybe not resonate as much. They can see a traditionally harmful product that now suddenly changes its branding and it's calling itself natural, where it's not really natural. That doesn't resonate. So I think we built a level of authenticity in the market that really helped us to stand out. And we were not shy to spend on social media. So we had a very strong brand presence over the last three or four years. The fact that we package in glass, the fact that we use additives that nobody else uses, those all go to product differentiation. So from product to the way we speak to how we speak has been really very helpful in ensuring that we can keep a share of market. It's time for us to take a perfect break right now and when we come back uh, we'll be continuing the conversation with Taryn. Welcome back. We are talking to Taryn Gill. She is the founder of The Perfect Hair. We've just been talking to her about how the, 
business was established, um, the, the product ranges and, uh, and how she differentiates herself or the business differentiates itself in a very competitive South African market which has got a combination of both international and local competitors vying for the same market. Let's now use that as an entree in, into uh, this segment, which is uh, uh, really around the retail space. And, and, and mm. the shelf space is pretty much the, the, the war zone where it all happens. It's about you yes. know, where, how much space and where on the shelf it is mm. and what kind of sort of advertising support you get around that. Right. I call it the shampoo shelf war. Yes. Uh, and and it, the, the struggle is real. Um, yes. what, what we've done as a small business to try to avoid being beaten out of the market too quickly and too soon is we've looked for channels that aren't so cluttered. So our first two years have been spent building experiences in salons, uh, partnering with chains like Sorbet, partnering with department stores like Edgar's who traditionally don't sell hair care, gives you a little bit more room to reach this woman without her being too overwhelmed with 10 choices, you know. And, and Edgar's was a nice fit for us. We're the only uh, product that goes to uh, marketing glass, mm -hmm. which meant we could go to a few select department stores and sell quite nicely alongside cosmetics and fragrance. Gave us a, another point of differentiation there as well. And now that we're finally ready to really kind of bite the apple and, and go quite hard into the bigger chains like Clicks and Discam, where you're going to see a hell of a lot of, of fierce competition at, at Shelf Point, I think there we start to change tech. There we start to manufacture in plastic tubes. There we start to create more mass market ranges suitable for kids and, and that kind of thing. So there we start to tweak the brand a little to go into those harder environments because it really is tough. What are some of the other challenges that you've been experiencing now? I think for small brands, the biggest uh, hurdle would be that first step into a formal supplier retail chain. Um, n very few small businesses are ready to take on the back end of a DC mm. or understand the complexities of manufacturing in a plant or understand how the transport of their product is going to impact your cash flow or know what to expect in terms of agreement. Your trading terms can make or break you and we often don't have the skill. You know, even having lawyers review them will not help your cash flow because mm. quite frankly the retailers will dictate those trading terms. So I think most entrepreneurs need to be very wary of that first step into formalized supply chains. Very difficult. And that's been also one of your challenges as Huge. well? Huge. Okay. Yes, it's, it, it really has been hard. Okay, so so the the other in terms of brand, getting your brand out there, you you spoke uh, earlier on about the fact that you weren't shy to use a lot of social media. Mm -hmm. Any any other because, quite frankly, all your big brands are using above the line media, mm -hmm. right? Which is expensive. Too expensive. It's too expensive, right? Yes. So so, the 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 use of the um, salons mm. is is a way into build brand recognition. Definitely, definitely, and 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 that's the that's the touch point. That's the that's the smell, the sniff, the ap application to hair and skin. All will happen in an in-store activation or in a salon. Um, 
And those steps, I think, are really key to making sure that you're not completely foreign when you get to the shampoo shelf wall. Because by the time you get to that shelf wall, you need to have a certain amount of equity and, and, and market voice. Um, or else you really will, will struggle. It will be difficult to, to find shelf space. Essentially, you want the retailer to come to you. Um, I, I, I met Herman Mishaba years ago, and uh, just his learnings on Black Like Me, a completely different product, completely different point of entry or, or market strategy. But what was, what was essential was, he said to me, you have to build share voice. You have to build some form of loyalty around this brand before you hit that shelf, just to cushion the blow mm. of what happens when you get there. And he said, in an ideal situation, the retailer will come to you. And what we found is of the three retailers we are now going into this year, two of which have come to me, which we think is a good move because now we can see that they see value in us being on the shelf. And, and then the, also the, the, whole, the, all the logistics around actually supporting distribution, your, your you know, sendbacks, you know, and all that mm. kind of stuff. Have you got that all in place or have you outsourced that to a distribution company? Everything has to be outsourced at that point because the minute you exceed a certain amount of units per month, the minute you upscale and, and you reach the point where your own studio or your own little uh, warehouse can't handle it, you actually need to be able to get into the back end of a Sorbet salon or an Edgar's department store or a Diskim or a Clicks via a warehouse that is accustomed to that process. And I think a lot of small businesses will shy away from the expense of that. But if you're not going to upscale with the proper supply partners, then, then don't upscale, then stay niche, stay online, um, know, you, know your market. I, I think if you're going to upscale, get the right partners in. Right, that's uh, the end of part uh, two. We are going to take a break now and come back uh, with uh, some thoughts for Taryn. Well, we're back here talking to Taryn Gill, who's the founder of uh, The Perfect Hair. Some of the issues when you were speaking, um, I, I had a knot in my stomach as you were speaking, talking about the issues around retail. Um, it's something that just vicariously and directly that I've had experience in, and I understand um, th that's why I call the battle zone out there mm -hmm. in terms of to fight for, for that shelf space and for the attention, the voice. Um, out there. So let me let me start off by by talking about the strategy. And if uh, Kumaran was sitting here, Kumaran Padiachi, who's often on panel with me, he'd be talking about the strategy here. What is the strategy? I asked you if you wanted to be what which what were you? Were you um, a manufacturer? Were you a, were you a, a, re a retailer? Were you a uh, marketer, what like what are you? Were you in logistics? Which which part of the the game are you in? And and to me, you're in a, a very precarious situation because I think part of you, this is my read, and the part of you has as is loves the the brand. You've built the brand. You've mm. put a lot of effort and energy into the brand. And part of the fantasy, as you fall asleep at night, is to see your brand all over shelves, all over Africa, all over the world. Okay. That's part of the fantasy. But the other side of, of the reality is that the, the wholesale, the ability to manufacture 
somebody else's label brings in the cash a lot mm. quicker. Mm. And you sit in this juxtap juxtaposition of cash brand, cash or brand. Yes. Care. And that's a very difficult place to be in because in a weird way there are different um, competencies because when you're in a, in a brand space, it's about building a brand, it's about how you get the brand out there and, and, and that's a whole competency mm. in of itself. When you're in the, I will contract manufacturer in essence, even though I'm using a contract manufacturer, but I'm the, I'm the wholesaler, it's my formulations, etc. Mm. I'm putting somebody else's label on. You're in actually in the sales business in, in a way. It's about going to sell that to somebody. And mm. it's subtly but importantly different business to that one. I'm, I'm one for um, compromise and I'm one for understanding the, the reality of the journey that mm. we go through as entrepreneurs. You know, just on a personal level, I had to go and supplement my income by consulting in order to, and took all that money and speaking in order to bring it back into the business to cash flow the business. I started doing that yeah. myself. <laughs> exactly. So, so in order to, because you do what you need to do. So yes. I have a huge amount of empathy for that. The problem is, is when the outcome, when it, the means to an end becomes the end in itself. So you have to answer question number one is what do you want? Mm. What does Taryn really, really want? Mm. Because if you, go, if you are wanting to see that brand there, okay, and you land up being this, let's call, let's call it contract wholesaler to use a, uh, a new word. If, you, if, if you're that person, there'll be a dissonance between your reality and your dream. Mm. And something will eat at you the whole time. You'll feel like you've sold out. Mm. If you make peace and say, I'm in this, I don't mind losing the brand, I'm in it to go and build a business mm. and that's what I want. Then you'll, then you'll have resonance with that strategy. So the first place you, I think you have to go is sit in a, in a, in a <laughs> dark room by yourself and work out which one it is. And my read, just based on my years of experience, is that you haven't done that, you like you, you, moving between the two uh, the whole time. Now let's move to the next, the next level. Okay, so that to me is a like, a, a like number one. The next level is, is then can only be answered if I know which way you're going. But I'm going to try and move between the two if you go to the left or you go to the right. I know which way I'm going. Which so way? You can, which way? You can narrow yourself Where? down. Which way are you going? I am completely and actually proud of what myself and my team have built around the signature brand. But we're in no way uh, disillusioned enough to thinking that, that we are going to be in 10 years time still with just the signature brand. We are very happy to custom manufacture, to, to become the wholesaler, the, the retailer, the distributor, the marketer. Like I said, the, the end game is a black industrialist hub where beauty brands can come and be birthed and taken to market. So okay. we are quite so that's clear the strategy. that that is the strategy. But then you've got to let go of the perfect hair brand. In, in your mind, it needs to be, have been part of your journey. To okay. me, it's, it's my, it's, it's my uh, in Zulu terms, you would say my firstborn. Yes. To me, it's my firstborn. And, and it gave me so much experience and, and I learned the do's and the don'ts. But I take that same passion. I'm, I'm busy creating a trio range for a retailer right now. I take that same passion and I put it into that new range. Very yeah. proud of it. Okay. I can birth many babies. Okay. Okay. But all right. So let me, let me, so I'm glad you, you said that. But I'm saying here that if you don't let go of that, in other words, it mm. becomes, 
what it is is your first born and it was there to teach you it's not the end game in of itself yes it comes part of it was just the first one you manufactured for yourself mm. then the strategy is here Mm. Then to me it's about then building these competencies because if it's this it's a different strategy if it's yes. this it's it's a it's a different it's strategy it's this it's this so there's no the, the USP per se is is the fact that you're just better than anyone else in in actually formulating you're better than everyone else in manufacturing correctly you're better than anyone else in packaging specifically for this market mm -hmm. you better than anyone else in in, in uh, understanding the market yeah what well that she would come wants. to what she wants which yeah. come to the formulation what she yeah. wants is to formulate mm -hmm. it right so that becomes the, the the where your core competence lies in you actually interpret interpreting the market and presenting it what it wants mm -hmm. that's your core competency whereas in this one if you had said that way it would be about a USP, a different retail USP, mm. and it's about the marketing side. Mm. Where this is more interpretation, packaging, and yes. it's not about getting it out there. That's somebody else's problem. And quite frankly, to my view, is that that's the smarter move because mm. I think in the long run you can build far more value. There's more ego this side, yeah. there's more value that you can create this side. Yeah. And to me, this is a far more um, sustainable and mature approach. To, to building a business. The, lo the last point that I want to make, and I've got a few seconds left here, is the fact that it's, it's a bumpy ride. You know, mm. just reading the, the language of what, what you put down, mm. there's the, the language is a dangerous language in here. And because there seems to be a no, no acknowledgement that this it will be bumpy. It's bumpy for everyone. Everyone's on the plane of building a business. Yes. No matter that, it, it's a bumpy ride. Some <laughs> is more bumpy than others, but it's a bumpy ride. Yes. And I think your personal journey has to be to breathe through it, okay, and 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 say, okay, I'm in it, and and mm. I accept it's going to be bumpy because for as long as you don't accept it's going to be bumpy, it's going to be hard. When you go, it's bumpy, you go, ah, there's another bump, okay, mm. there's another bump. Well, my stomach feels a little <laughs> thing, but it's another bump. Gosh, that okay. cash flow, another <laughs> bump. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. exactly. And I'll yes, be through we, and, we do and, take pain, yes. And, and, and tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands who are watching this now have been through that. Too. Yes. We have to end there. I, I wish you the very best of luck. I think, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I think you've got what it takes. Thank you. Short, I really do. And uh, I hope that you build this magnificent business. South Africa needs more people like you. Well done. Thank you. Up next. With all the money that I had on my savings, I went to put up a big deposit for this expensive car, hoping that in the next probably year I'll be a multimillionaire. And actually the opposite happened. Welcome to the Psyche of Success. It's been a while since we've had somebody in studio uh, of this caliber. Her name is Mate Mushweshwe and she is the founder of Mushweshwe Properties. An article many years ago which actually is on the wall of Racecorp reads uh, uh, Mate Mushweshwe, Pam Golding of the Townships. And she's had an incredible story over the years that I've known her. Um, Mati was uh, part of one of the race programs many years ago 
uh, and then went on her own and has had an incredible entrepreneurial journey. And uh, some parts were not that incredible and then they become incredible again. And I think that reflects the, the journey of the entrepreneur, that it's not just this one-way street moving up to success, that it's a quite a bumpy roller coaster ride. Welcome. Thank you, sir. How are you? Okay, please don't call me sir. It makes me feel very old. So, where did it begin? How did it begin? How did you start the business? Um, I was a receptionist at one of the real estate companies and I remember one day there was a client that was calling through and she wanted to see a house in Fosloras, which is the township and at the time there weren't any agents who were willing to go to the township because the listing agent uh, wasn't around so what I said to my manager is that I'm willing to take this client to Fosloras because I live there if you can just give me the address I'll get there, show the client the house, and then maybe we can be able to make a sale. And that was the beginning of my career, because that first client actually bought, and that was my first sale. Hmm. So now how did you leave? Well, I mean, what you, of one sale you decided no, to no, leave? No, 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 I didn't. Okay. I actually, um, the CEO of the company offered me an opportunity to become a, a real estate agent. That was 2007 seven, six, yeah. somewhere there, uh, before the new regulations and everything. So I went to write my board exams, which the, you didn't have to do the qualification back then. It was just a multiple choice and then that's it. You have passed, you oh, you can do full year, then you become a full status agent. And then from there I realized that um, there was a gap in the township. I, I was trained well because obviously the company that I was working for was focusing sitting on the high end um, around the suburbs. So I realized there was a gap in the township whereby I wanted to bring those standards into the township market and bring the same service, the same class and actually be able to give that kind of service to, to my own people. Mm. And that's what inspired me actually to eventually leave and start my own company. So now the day one, you, you, you resign, you start, where do you start from? Do you start from home? Do you start from an yeah. office? What, 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 what? Actually, when I just resigned, I actually called my friend and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to start my own real estate business. And she said, you must be brave because we're actually in the middle of recession. I was like, wow, it was recession because <laughs> I didn't understand the term recession and I think it helped back then. <laughs> So I just said, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So I actually uh, rented out a room for my mother. It was just a two room. That's where I started um, with the money that I made uh, from, from the previous employment. I managed to buy equipment, uh, furniture, get some sort of um, business card. And that's how I started, honestly speaking. And six months down the line, I realized this thing is very difficult. Honestly, starting your own business is not that easy. So I decided to sell my own townhouse and move back to Katleho and stay with my mom. I had two cars, then I sold one. So I was left with just one car. So with the money that I had, I managed to actually sustain myself for at least six to seven months. 
because real estate business is a tough industry. You earn on commission, mm. and there's a process in between before actually you get that money into your bank account. So the money that the proceeds that I got for my for my for my townhouse helped me to sustain my own lifestyle up until the first sale can come through. But you know, it's really small amounts of money. Mm. Um, uh, so it was really challenging, I have to tell you that. And let me tell you a story. And that's when I decided that I needed something. That's how I came across RaceCorp. Then I applied online and I came to RaceCorp. And I remember, um, I think it was a session that I did with you. It was, I think, one of who I am, one of the personal. Yeah, that one. And you said something that actually changed my career, the direction of my career. You said something about Pam Golding. And the first thing I heard when I came into the industry was Pam Golding, she's taking over the industry. Now she's coming to the township market. Um, we're not gonna have business. So I was actually um, curious to find out who's this Pam Golding that everybody's actually talking about. And when we had that session, the personal development session, and I remember I went to your office afterwards and I said, um, you said something about Pam Golding, and I think that's exactly who I would like to be. And uh, I remember you referring me to one of the uh, companies called The Brain Union, who helped me through to build up my corporate identity. That session changed the direction of, of my career because I knew exactly that this is the kind of a brand that I want to build. This is the person that I would love to be. So actually it gave me a direction of how I do my branding, how I associate myself with people, and exactly where I would like to be. So so, so you then start to build your brand, you, um, and you start to get a little bit of traction. Yes. Now you're sort of yes. becoming successful. Yes. What happens next? Okay, what happened is that I then met uh, another mentor who introduced me to property investing. And he said, Mantu, you can make a lot of money quicker. And I said, tell me more. I said, I'll show you the best way to do it. You buy properties and you flip them. So within two months, you can actually make like a lot of money. So I started doing that. I did the first deal, gave me a very good profit. I did the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one. So I was starting to make a lot of money. And I started owning my own property, which I didn't even have a bond over. They were all paid up cash. So now somebody said to me, you know what? This car that you're driving, I think you need to upgrade it. You need to have a big car so now you can attract big business. I said, seriously, yes, you must change the car. Actually, even change your wardrobe. Like, okay, I'll do that. So I actually hired a lady to dress me up. And I went and bought myself a big car. So with all the money that I had on my savings, I went to put up a big deposit for this expensive car, hoping that in the next probably year I'll be a multimillionaire. And actually the opposite happened. So now I wasn't focusing now on the basics of what I was doing before. I was now a celebrity, now I've got a big car, now when I drive back to the township, everybody wants to know who I am. Now people started inviting me to parties. Can you go to this party? And now 
for a whole year I didn't do anything. I didn't actually work, to be quite honest with you. And then the second year I realized, actually, I think I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I think I'm broke. But because I've got assets that I can cash in, I started selling my assets just to sustain myself. We're going, we're going to have to, we've run out of time. Oh, we're, going okay. to make, we're going to make this a two-part series because uh, I want to hear part two of this phenomenal series. Because after you left Rayscorp, we didn't know where you went <laughs> and we thought you were flying. Um, and it's fascinating to see how that's uh, landed up. So next week, we're going to continue Psyche of Success. We're going to continue with Mathieu's uh, story about now how she goes from decline from this grand success into decline, back up to success where she is today. Do stay tuned for what's coming up next. You should try and define your jawline. In fact, they analyzed 60,000 LinkedIn profile pictures and this is the verdict, what they found. Welcome to our expert slots and today we are in part two of a three-part series talking about LinkedIn. LinkedIn being a very big part of how we as entrepreneurs get uh, our connections, find new business, uh, find new partners, uh, not love partners but maybe perhaps, but, but uh, business partners, um, agents, advice and all sorts of business related things. LinkedIn being uh, the biggest online platform for business to business uh, at the moment. And in studio with us, we have uh, our expert, Dr. Nick Erbel, who is CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy, and he's been talking to us about LinkedIn. Last week, we spoke about um, how to, what, what is this LinkedIn thing, and how to think about it and how to, to use it properly. This week, we're talking about setting up a profile. Welcome. So, I, I've, I've signed in, now I'm setting up my profile. Give me a sense of what it should be communicating. What is the persona that my profile should be portraying? The very first thing that people look at is obviously your profile picture. So your profile picture has to be professional. If you have glasses, you need to wear them. You have to smile with your teeth visible. You should squinch. Squinching is very important because is it looks you... Yeah. A <laughs> little bit less, because it makes you look more focused. You should try and define your jawline. In fact, they analyzed 60,000 LinkedIn profile pictures, and this is the verdict, what they found. And uh, you should obviously come across as a professional and friendly character. N not overdo the colors. It should be ideally. Many times, grayscale pictures work out great. Okay, so that's the picture. I'm squinting. I'm squinching now. I'm squinting. That's right. Right. How's my jaw? Good. Your jaw is good. Good. Defined. Okay. Defined. Okay. And now talk about the language now. What is the language that I use? The first thing you have to do, you have to convert your headline, where everybody is putting down the job title, to a value proposition. Because okay. you Example? Are, Give me an example. For an example, I help uh, executives to generate referral clients on LinkedIn through the reciprocation marketing method. So you need to spell out what it is, what's the benefit you deliver to which kind of audience through what kind of unique methodology. 
because every time you interact on LinkedIn, people see three, th three things. They see your picture, your headline, and your name. So, so, but a lot of people, quite frankly, use it not just for finding business. They use it to find jobs as well. Of and course. So if I'm out there in the job market, do I have the same kind of uh, he he headline? Even more so, because then you have to be very clear about the value that you are providing. So it's very much the opposite to a CV. Your CV just tells me what you've done in the past. Your LinkedIn profile is, has to tell me what you can do for me in the future. And let's talk about the, 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 what's underneath. You've got the profile and then you've got lots and lots of fields that you can fill in. And you don't have to fill them all in. It tells you, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 mm -hmm. or 100% complete in terms of creating the ideal profile. Mm -hmm. What are the important things to, to fill in in the, in the balance of the, the fields? LinkedIn is the only social media network that gives you the ability to build your personal brand in the summary. You have 2,000 characters in the summary. That is your core of your LinkedIn profile. And you have to tell your story in a way that it speaks to your ideal client, to your target audience on LinkedIn. You have to do what I call story, do story branding, story brand your LinkedIn profile. And you have to tap on the biggest problem your ideal client is facing. You have to express your empathy, you have to communicate your authority that you helped similar clients, and you have to outline your action plan. What is it for clients that have that kind of problem that you offer? And then, so basically, you storytell um, your ability to help clients solve the biggest problem. Let's talk about uh, endorsements right now. Some people and there's two types of, of endorsements. There's people who then click and, and you say so-and-so says you're a great leader or you're great at this, etc. What's the value of that, first of all? Let's, let's deal with that. What, what's yes, the value sir. of all these people saying, what a jolly good fellow I am? People look at your skills. Endorsements are there to validate your skills based on third-party interactions. There, it's part of a lot of subtle touch points on LinkedIn that enable you to build relationships in an easy way. So you should endorse others. You must have endorsements on your profile. And most importantly, you need to collect recommendations. Yes. So let's talk about, so there's endorsements, which some is really around your skill sets. And then there's recommendations, which is an individual writing something about you. Absolutely. Okay. How do I get somebody to do that? You ask, there's a function on LinkedIn to ask for a recommendation. You can only ask people that are connected to you on LinkedIn for a recommendation. So you have to go through your network and reach out to the people that know you well, that have worked with you, that are in a position to write a recommendation. And what you should do, you should recommend them first. And, and what, what is, so, okay, I get the recommend, uh, recommendation first. But when I'm looking at you, I come to you and I look at these recommendations to see your valid, how valid that is. Because it could be your uncle and your aunt and your mommy and your daddy all endorsing you. What should I be looking at when looking at your profile to see whether your endorsements are valid or authentic or substantial? What you see on a LinkedIn recommendation, and this is, LinkedIn forces you to declare this, you see the relationship between the person that is recommending you and yourself. So has this person worked with you? Has he, she been your client? That is very clear. You see the picture and the, pro, the headline of that person. So you know who it is that's recommending you. And I mean, these, are, uh, these can't be faked. They cannot be manipulated. These are not testimonials on a website. 
Okay, exactly. And, when you, and there's a lot, and that's already why I'm asking, because when you go to websites, you can get some very interesting testimonials from people who, mm. you know, out of some stock photography uh, mm. album. Let's talk about the, the inboxing function or the private uh, communication mm. function of, of LinkedIn. How does that work? And how do I start my, my communication? Well, you can message anybody in your first degree network. So the people that you're connected to, you can message. And the beauty is that messaging or messages on LinkedIn, the so-called in-mails, carry a lot more weight. In fact, research has shown is that are 11 times more effective than any other means of communication, especially email. The reason for that is people assign more rarity. They are unique. When you get an in-mail, it's different. Mm. And uh, people pick up on that, and the response rate is really good. Just coming back to the platform itself and looking in at, uh, at LinkedIn and very much the feed. Let's look at the feed of, mm -hmm. of LinkedIn. I've noticed over the, the years that the, the, this far, it's far more visual than it used to be. Um, so please comment on that. And that the content is, is, is changing somewhat than it was uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, the emphasis, and Microsoft is really behind it, it's first of all a lot more visual, like the whole net. Secondly, uh, the emphasis has changed from article writing, the blogging on LinkedIn, to the home, to the, to the home feed, uh, to posts, the short posts, up to 1300 characters. You have to be active, you have to always attach an image. Now you can also insert a video. Okay, so next week we're going to be talking about actually using it, the, the actual function of using. We've now, we've, in the first week we spoke about what is this thing. This week we've spoken about very much the profile and next week we're going to be talking about the actual use and to get the best value out of LinkedIn. Uh, uh, Dr. Nikobel, thank you so much for being in studio with us and uh, for those of you hearing all the thunder and lightning and the rain out there, uh, it is raining again here in Johannesburg. Uh, it's a beautiful sound. We don't want to uh, mess with that. We love rain in this country. We need it. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, the show until now. Do stay tuned for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for my reflections for today. And today I want to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and that's reading. Reading, reading, reading. And the irony is that uh, when we're watching TV, we're not reading. And so I encourage you straight after the show to go and read. Now, everyone has a different way of reading. And, I, and I'm just going to share with you a different way. Something I learned from somebody I deeply respect many years ago when I was in my 20s in terms of how he read books. And I adopted that in my, my late 20s and I've never stopped reading in the same way. So this way is to read in a way that you use the book, not as just information, but you use it um, as the tasks and the tools that you need to, draw, to build your business. Sometimes you can read a whole book and only learn one thing and sometimes, you know, if, every single page there's something valuable on and until you've gone through that book and depending where you are in your entrepreneurial journey you won't know wh which one it is. So the important thing for me is every time I read I read with another book. I literally have a notebook such as this here and I sit with that with a pen I have my book in front of me and as soon as I come up with an idea that, that I've just learned or it precipitates another idea I create a task or an idea, 
I put a little idea sign with that light bulb, so that's a great idea, or a task, or a question mark that comes up for me, and I use the book in terms of creating tasks, things to do, so that book becomes actually a precipitator of action in your business, and not just a nice thing to casually read and forget in, in probably a week or two after you've read it. So reading with another book, a notebook in front of you, and a pen, is one way that can make reading far more valuable and worthwhile to the growth of your entrepreneurial business. I hope you enjoyed today's show. That's it uh, for today. And remember, as always, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. The courage to grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.